that giving tithes and offering is an act of worship. You may give the sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. You may give to the vision and mission of the church online, or you may mail a check to the address here, which is 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville, Alabama 35081. Or after service, you can drop your offering in the back sanctuary in the designated area. As far as our announcements for this week, uh, this week we welcome our Reverend Bill Nash to our pulpit today. Thank you for being here. Please join us after worship for Sunday equipping, equipping classes for all ages. Also tonight at 6 p.m. there's the last session of the church field summit. A guest speaker from Priceless Services of North Alabama uh, will, will be joining us. All are welcome to attend this information informative session. It will be held here in the sanctuary. Please see the weekly schedule for a list of activities being offered in your bulletin. Um, and um, there's also some other information in the bulletin um, that you can get more information of, uh, information of what's going on in the next couple of weeks. Uh, particularly, we want you to save the date for uh, the kids' Easter egg hunt in a couple of weeks on March 23rd. And there will be some more details on the Easter egg uh, hunt coming up. Um, and that concludes the announcements for this morning. Thank you. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we want our hearts to be prepared for you. We want to receive what you have for us. Like James talks about how we look into the word is like a mirror. And we don't want to walk away and forget what we look like. We want to see our reflection clearly and change for the glory of your name. And so as we worship you today, as we give you praise and honor, because you are worth it, um, we also ask that you would show us what we really look like so that we could look more like you. We love you, and we thank you that you are here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand for our um, our call to worship? I will lead, I will read the leader part, and you guys read the people part. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good; for His steadfast love endures forever. Save us, O oh God, of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. Stay standing if you can and join us in worship. And you can clap your hands too if you feel like that. That would be great. This is the day, this is the day that the Made, that the Lord has made, I will rejoice. 
more time. And all the praise. Yeah, yeah. Praise the Lord. Sometimes we just have to stop and think about what he's done. We have to think about what he's done for us. How he picked us up. He turned us around those days. Because there's some days that we just need to stop and remember what has he done. Because those doubts, we're human. Doubts rise up in our mind. But when we remember about when our kid was sick and he came through. Or when our dad was going through that thing and he helped our dad. You know, he helped him get into the place he needed to go. Or, you know, those moments where you know you know that was God. You know he came through. Bring those things back to mind and remind yourself of what he's done. And if you can't think of anything else, think of Calvary. Think of what he did on the cross for you. Let's sing about that some more. Remind yourself. On the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me. My Jesus set me free. Look at the wounds that give me life, grace flowing from His side. No greater sacrifice. What He's Worship we can bring. The 
Confession of sin comes from Psalm 38, verse 18. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. Let's just spend a few moments in silence confessing our sin to Him. Assurance of pardon comes from Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, my steps secure. Thanks be to God. you're able, if you wouldn't mind standing with me again. If you're not, that's all right. You worship where you're at.
Powerful name. 
name. It is, it is above every name. And we give you honor for it. May you be praised, Jesus. Not just now, but when we walk out these doors and we encounter our coworkers and we're dealing with our kids in the day-to-day, your name is above every name. We can walk in the power of that. There is strength in that. We give you glory, Jesus. You are so good. In your name we praise you. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good Lord in prayer. Sweet Jesus, we just come here. Enter into your presence, as we just sang, through the veil that is your body, by your blood that was poured out for us. We know you. We feel your presence here with us. And we glorify your name. Jesus, you're the lover of our soul. You're the center of our joy. You're the beginning and the end and everything in between. All glory and power and majesty is yours. Father, we just thank you. And Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us on the cross. Your word says that you heal up the brokenhearted. That you bind our wounds. And we look to you, Father, for that. Father, there's many people here today who are hurting who have medical issues that are difficult and we need a miracle we have people who have relationship issues God we need you to move there we have people with financial issues loss of jobs Father, we just cry out to you and, and, and need your mercy to fall upon us. Jesus, we just thank you that you are not only our king, but you're our friend. That you're not only our savior, you're our Lord, our justifier, our sanctifier, all these things you are, and it amazes us but nothing more amazing than your grace. So, Father, I pray as we get ready for the word to be brought to us that your spirit would fall on us, that you would move us, that we would not be the same for being here in in your presence today. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. 
Today's reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. Listen for the word of God. I maybe have a different translation of what's on the screen. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I've seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. More than every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is their gift of God. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> okay. Uh, we're, um, I'm so glad to be here. I um, There we go. This is... Um, this is going to be a little different than I'm used to because I don't usually just have like a bunch of slides that I put together. So I'm experimenting a little, and I feel like I can't hear because I feel like I'm family. I can come here and try a few things. But um, uh, one thing you probably should know about me is that I head up a ministry. I'm not on staff at a church um, um, in any particular like large role or anything. I, I head a ministry called Into the Wild, and it's uh, an evangelism ministry. And the whole idea of wild is just, it's, it's everything sort of outside the church walls. It's the, it's the pool that we swim in all week, all of us do. You know, it's the, it's the culture, it's the world, it's Huntsville, it's your neighborhood. It's the wild, right? And um, I think that we all know that the wild is getting wilder. And our culture is, it, you know, it's, it is what it is, but it's just, it's really a strange thing. It's, a, it's kind of a weird place now. Um, I suppose um, there's a such a strong um, us and them thing going on all the time. I mean, you can't have an opinion about anything or just sort of take a side on something without the, this giant gulf between you and, and somebody else. It's just it's getting wilder and on every on every issue and finding common ground is getting harder and harder. Right. Because it, it's there's just a lot of stiff arming going on and that's just our world that we live in you know but um i I try to think through if there would be a way that as followers of jesus as his apprentices as people who want to look like him and want to follow him and want to sense his presence all the time is there a way that we can think about the wild is there a way that we can think about it and, and find common ground that's relational. That is a way that we can connect with people in a real profound way. And so I, I tried to think it through a little bit. And um, so we're going to go on a little bit of a journey this morning. And uh, a couple places we're going to go. We're going to go into a, an ancient book. Well, the Bible is all of it's ancient. But Ecclesiastes is particularly interesting. It's thousands of years ago that this book was written. And yet it speaks about our culture right now. It just really gives us an insight into what's going on in the hearts and the minds 
of people that are outside our four walls of a church that are trying to make sense of a world in the wild, okay? It's going to give us some insight. The next part of the journey that we'll go on is going to be, I want to, I can't just go do this. I have to go to the foot of the cross. I have to look into the face of Jesus, and I want you to come with me to look into the face of Jesus. Because that's the man. That is the man. The name of Jesus. I was just saying his name. I know the name of the man who is fixing all of this. He is fixing every wrong he's making right. Every injustice. Every grudge. All envy, lies, hate self-centeredness, Jesus is making right. He's fixing it. And I have found that, like, a ministry that's all about, like, into the wild is an evangelism ministry. And I've said it's an evangelism ministry for the rest of us. Because I think a lot of evangelism ministries try to tell you how to answer every objection and every question. That's the wrong place to start. You don't want to start there because you want to go to the foot of the cross and be who Jesus has called you to be, which is a follower. And you spend time with him. If you can see his face and if he can change your heart, if he can conform you into his image, that Christ-likeness is what we offer the world. We become like Jesus as he conforms us through his word and sacrament, all the things that we talk about. It's for the sake of his glory, certainly, but for the sake of other people. I think that if we can go into the wild, bringing the love of Jesus, uh, 1 Peter 2.12 says that if you live such beautiful lives, the wild, or the pagans, as it says in the passage, the other people, they may accuse you, they may persecute you, but they won't be able to help themselves to bring glory to God by your beautiful life. And so that's the journey I want to take us on this morning. And so, next slide. Um, I'm going to look at two ideas and one question. The idea of the wild, the culture we live in, the transcendence is gone. Any sense of God, we live in a post-Christian world. The wild is getting wilder. We're in a post-Christian world. So the transcendence has left the wild, left the culture. But what the culture has done, uh, the culture has created its own transcendence, a way to try to explain life. And then so the, the final thing is, though, so is there common ground and can we find it? And where is it? What's the thing that we can do? Okay. So, uh, next slide. Uh, there's our passage. I'm not going to read it. Uh, Richard has read it. But can we just pause just for a second? Because I want the Spirit to come, fill me, fill us, so that we can end up at the foot of the cross and see Jesus. Just, let's just take a moment and just hear his voice, feel his peace. Feel his love. Okay, let's go on our journey.
um, the idea that the transcendence has left the wild. I want to suggest something. I think our culture is grieving. Um, with any loss, there's grief that it follows. I think our the wild is grieving. Uh, there is a loss of transcendence. There's a loss of enchantments. And I don't mean like weird stuff like trees have spirits in them or something. But the idea that there, there is more than meets the eye. We're becoming a very, very secular world. So there's loss of transcendence, loss of enchantment. There's a loss of God. Um, and G.K. Chesterton said that, had this great saying. He said, if before you take down a fence, like a fence around something, ask why was it there first? Why was it there in the first place? Because there's unintended consequences. Even Friedrich Nietzsche, you know, the, the philosopher that uh, you know, ultimately in his writings he had the phrase that God is dead and we killed him. He was concerned that if we, you know, as we remove God, because he didn't believe in God, didn't believe there was such a you know, being, what's going to come fill its place? And let's be careful when he was saying, even him, right? Um, so there's been a loss of the transcendence, and I believe our culture is grieving the loss. Here's where I get this idea, okay? Uh, there's this book I read last year. Um, it's a 2008 memoir, uh, a Pulitzer Prize you know, author, written in 2008. It's a memoir. His name's Julian Barnes. And the opening line of his book is this. Next slide. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. Yeah, this, is a, this is somebody that um, he describes himself in the book. He said, I was an atheist at 20 and agnostic at 60. Just didn't believe in God, but he said, he said something. It's profound. Like, like, what's going on? I don't believe in God, but I miss him. The book that he wrote, and it's the opening line to it, is called Nothing to be Frightened of. It's a book, get this, it's a book about death. He's a British guy, so there's like some British humor. It kind of feels like you're reading Monty Python sometime or watching some you know, PBS comedy show from England, you know. But he writes about death. He's trying to, one of the things he's doing, he's trying to tame his fear of death so it won't control him. And he's, he talks about death, his friends dying, his family, all this stuff, and he's this is apart from God he's trying to do this. And what's interesting is the author of Ecclesiastes kind of doing the same thing. Next slide. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vapor. And that word vapor is the word that you probably have heard in Ecclesiastes because it shows up in the second verse of the first chapter. It's translated vanity, you know, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's also translated meaningless, 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 all is meaningless. And when, you know, that's like the second line of the book, and you kind of go, okay, why is, why is this in the Bible? <laughs> but it is profound. And I think I might scratch the surface a little bit here. But so it's also translated vapor. That's also great imagery. And so another famous phrase, if we sort of orient ourselves, we get a sense of like what's going on in our culture. God is, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. What's, what's going on there? 
There is a phrase. Next slide. There is nothing new under the sun. That shows up in Ecclesiastes. And so when we think about when we read Ecclesiastes, the whole book, think of it as a, a thought experiment. The author of Ecclesiastes, we don't know whose name is, his name's Kohelet, again, a Hebrew, but it's like he's the preacher. So he's like the preacher who's writing all this. I mean, maybe it's Solomon, we don't know. Um, but he's doing a thought experiment, and he's going, all right, so let's think about this. What if there was no God, and all there was was life under the sun? That's what he's looking at. And he's just saying, let's live life under the sun, with no reference to the transcendence, nothing's enchanted, nothing. It's just nothing. And so let's see what happens. He does this thought experiment, and he says, well, look, you know, I'll look and see if I can accumulate things. And then he concludes, well, gosh, I'm going to die. And then somebody I don't know is going to get my stuff and they're going to spend the money. And it's like, oh, what a waste of time. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. What's meaningless? Or he says, well, maybe, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get meaning from my job. And he just, you know, the toil all day long. And he just starts to see life under the sun is depressing. That's kind of what he's saying. That's just like, oh, my gosh. And as he's looking at this, almost like, it's like John Lennon, you know, imagine there's no heaven. He's, you know, and, of course, he has this. Anyway, I should have never mentioned that. Uh, <laughs> so, life under the sun. Like, that's, that's what the author of Ecclesiastes is doing. Um, he, there's even a, and I don't have it printed uh, on the screen, but, For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward for their memory is forgotten. He's saying, like, make a name for yourself, and they won't remember your name. You know, the over-unders are, what, a generation? <laughs> you won't even know who you are. Um, so I think what happens is when transcendence leaves the wild, we, have, we live in a secular age or a post-Christian world that we're in, the, the, the wild is wrestling with missing God. But, I, but in the book by Julian Barnes, he tells this great analogy. See, he said he was an atheist when he was 20 and then became an agnostic at 60. His mother, who was this avid atheist his whole life, raised their family not to believe in God and, you know, there's no God, you know, just it's everything. All, you know, all the great philosophers that sort of point to this, the you know, existential, you know, existence, all that stuff. She was just an avid atheist. When he said to his family when he was 60, I think I'm an agnostic. She gave him a hard time and just said, look, you know the reason why you're an agnostic is because you're getting closer to death and you're starting to hedge your bets. And he said, uh, no. He said, time out. He said, I already had my, and this is in quotes, and I hate doing this, right? But anyways, in quotes, he had his death awakening when he was 14. Something happened to him, and he was aware of death. And he said, becoming aware of death is like this. Look at this next quote. He said, the awareness of death is like being in an unfamiliar hotel room where the alarm clock has been left on the previous occupant's setting, and at some ungodly hour, you are suddenly pitched from sleep into darkness, panic, and a vicious awareness that this is a rented world. Let that imagery kind of wash over you for a second. Now, in practical terms, that's happened to me. I've been in a hotel room, and that stupid thing goes off. It's at 4 in the morning. I'm like, oh, thank you. But that feeling, 
that kind of that weird, you wake up, where am I? What's going on? And there's a panic. He, he describes this well. That is the death awareness, the death awakening. And the, those were, in our culture, apart from God, life under the sun, the inevitability of death, that is a panic for those outside of truth, outside of what Jesus came and told us. That's what the world feels. There is a vicious awareness that, that this is a rented world. I contend that's, how the, that's what's going on. When you take down the fence, that's why it's there. You know, and, and death is such a part of, of all of Ecclesiastes. I mean, we've got Easter coming up. What was defeated at Easter? It's death. Okay? This is a big issue. It's massive. Okay? Transcendence has left the wild. And then the next thing, next slide. The wild is creating its own transcendence. And so I, I want you to think of the imagery, the panic, the anxiety, the angst. How does a world apart from God under the sun cope in that world? They make their own transcendence. Um, Charles Taylor, <clears throat> this um, Roman Catholic uh, Canadian philosopher, uh, sociologist, psychologist, I can't remember which, but he wrote this in an amazing book in the, about the time that Charles uh, Julian Barnes wrote his book. It was, it was, he was looking at the secular world. Essentially, he was looking at the world under the sun. And he, he said that the loss of transcendence has been replaced in the world with a horizontal transcendence. This idea that creating your own story about how to exist in the world you have to create your own horizontal transcendence. I'm going to expand on that. But let me get back to this one point, and the next slide is it. The wild is grieving. Um, they're grieving the loss of God. They're, they're uh, awaking at 3 in the morning in a panic in a room they don't recognize, and they're thinking, this is a rented world. What do I do? I, I'm, I'm not here for long. My life is a vapor. What am I going to do? All right, so I say the world is grieving. Next slide. Um, Dabda. That's a way you can remember the stages of grief. Uh, they're, in, you know, they're not linear. It's a great way to think about and helpful to think about when someone's grieving. Maybe they're going through the stages of grief. But it's supposed to be, you know, you can remember it with Dabda, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then ultimately acceptance. I think our culture is camped out at bargaining. Bargaining is that kind of thing that you do that when this tragic thing happens, you can't, you first you're in denial, then you're angry, then you kind of think, well, maybe I can assuage what's going on here. Maybe I can fix it by doing this. Maybe I can, you know, uh, survive this somehow if this happens, if that happens. You know, you bargain with, you know, if you're a Christian or something, you might bargain with God and sort of say, God, if you can just do this and change that, I'll be this, and this thing will change. That bargaining thing, I think our culture is going through that. And what I mean by that, um, and what I mean by that is that essentially, um, next slide, this idea that if the transcendence has left the culture, 
um, then there's, you only have what's imminent. You only have what's before you. It's life under the sun. And if there's no enchantment in the world, there's nothing that tells you that, that there's something behind this, that there's more than meets the eye, then you become disenchanted and you have to create what Charles Taylor, that Canadian Roman Catholic dude, <laughs> with his amazing book, that it's hard to understand, so I had to read people that read it to tell me what he said. But you create an imminent frame to look at the world with. You buffer yourself from the things you don't want to think about. That death awakening, I don't want to think about it. I'm going to, and if there's no transcendent, there's nothing behind anything. There's nothing's enchanted in this world. There's nothing. It's just life under the sun. Then I've got to make sense of it. And so you create an imminent frame to look at life with. And you create your own meaning. You have, you have your own way of meaning, um, and, and that's how you live. That's how, what's going on with our culture. And um, part of that is, as the author of Ecclesiastes is telling us, that if this world under the sun is really just mist, just a vapor, it's kind of meaningless, then any imminent frame that you would set up to understand life, to give meaning, to give identity to yourself, give meaning to your life, all the suffering you go through, whatever it is, you have to create your own meaning. Number one, it's too much to handle. It's too much. But part of that also is that you're always aware that this is a rented world. And that's devastating. You, and you have to buffer yourself from those thoughts. Again, you go back to you, what you've created your meaning about. But the way that the author of Ecclesiastes throughout the book talks about doing that, he says it's like uh, chasing after the wind. He said it's like you're trying to herd wind. You know, you, and, and then I heard another author say that is like trying to build a smoke castle in a hurricane. And you know that. You live under the sun and you know that. This is meaningless. I'm going to accumulate all this stuff and then I'm going to die. Someone else is going to get my stuff. Or if I get to the end of this, one of the two tragedies in life are not getting what you want. And the second is getting what you want. That's life under the sun. There's this constant, like, constant dying that you, you're, you're realizing this is meaningless. And so you go to find more meaning. You've got to create that frame so you can make it. That's our world. They're exhausted. They're scared. That's the people around us. And by the way, that we do that too. We have to be careful. Okay, now go to the next slide. What's interesting about all this is that from our passage, we know that God has placed eternity in everyone's heart. All of our hearts. God has placed eternity there. So even if you've created an imminent frame to understand life, life without God, you're haunted by transcendence. Our culture is haunted by transcendence. It's there, and they buffer themselves from it. They, they feel love, but they don't know where that comes from, what ultimate love is. Like, where's the source of that love? 
and maybe if it's just chemical things firing off in your brain, then it's really meaningless, and you don't want to think about it, so you have to buffer yourself, and so you create stories, you create meaning yourself. And that's why there's so much, like even in our culture right now, the desire to create your own identity to the extremes that we're seeing is because God has placed eternity in your heart. And, but you're pushing back against it because you don't, you want what you want. And, that, and that's our culture, and they're, they're hurting. There's pain in all this. And so our culture will create their own transcendence. And so that's why one of the things I help people do and say, hey, if you want to go and you want to go out into the wild and you want to connect with people on a real heart level, listen to hear rather than listen to respond. Listen to hear rather than listening to judge or listening to correct. So if you can enter into that space and you can hold it, you can start to hear the imminent frame that they've created and, and how thin the belief is. If there's horizontal transcendence, it's very thin, and they are one click away on the Internet from their, their world system and belief just falling apart. And then, they're gonna, then they hear that three-alarm clock in the middle of the night, and it's disorienting and it's painful. That's the world that we live in. We live in a very affluent world. We, we have distractions beyond belief. Buffering yourself against all these thoughts are found here. Just, you, can, you can distract yourself, distracted from distraction by distraction, T.S. Eliot said. And that's our world. And that's the, that's the pain that's out there. Part of this journey is to create compassion in our hearts for this. The Holy Spirit can do that. But if you can start to think on that's what they're feeling, and it's like being awakened at 3 in the morning, and they're disoriented, and it's painful. And the reason they're haunted by transcendence is because eternity is placed in their hearts, just like you and me. So here's the thing. Where's the common ground? Next slide. I want to say, if, if we buy the idea that our culture is grieving, what do you do with somebody who's grieving? You go and you sit with them, right? You go and you sit and you be quiet. Just be there. Hand on a shoulder. Let them cry. Be there. But there's like this other super level that happens and can happen. And maybe this has happened for you too. But if the person that's grieving, you've experienced it, and you go and you sit with them, that carries this tremendous weight with the person that's grieving. Because I think in due time, you'll be able to speak into it because you'll be able to say this, and it'll be received. You can say, you can say to them, it's going to be okay. Why? Because, you know, you've been through it, and you know if you can speak that truth, it's going to be okay. They'll look and hear it from you because they know you've been through it. It's going to get better. I, I contend that that's what we can do. I contend that that's what we can do in the posture that we can take is a non-anxious posture. It's a posture where we let go of outcomes, where we become, you know, beautiful, a beautiful presence. I, I think that's what we can do because we have compassion. Because, it, 
Life under the sun is depressing. And they're grieving. And so I have two suggestions. Next slide. Oh, yeah. I think you got it. Yeah, that's it. Just two things. Friendships and a table. Let's look at friendship. Next slide. This famous quote from C.S. Lewis about what friendship is. It's really cool. Love it. Friendship is born at the moment when one person says to the another, What? You too? I thought that no one but myself. There's a sense where I think the compassion we have for people because eternity, is, eternity has been placed in every one of our hearts. I'm haunted by transcendence, aren't you? But I know the resolution. I know the resolution of that haunting. There is, it's true transcendence found in Jesus. It's, it, life is enchanted. There is more than meets the eye. Right? I mean, we, we you know we, like people would think that trees were enchanted in a kind of weird way. But you read scripture and the trees dance to God's glory. Go, yeah, that's right. And it's not just some story I've concocted in my head to go, yeah, that's how, yeah, trees, man, they dance. You know, that's not it. It's true. They do to God's glory. Rocks sing. I don't, you know, wow. Right? Okay. But that's the sort of thing that we know what the pain, we know, gosh, trying to make sense of this world under the sun is depressing. I mean, when we have Jesus, you know, we have to continually remind ourselves, you know, things. But we bring that. That's a common thing. That's the sort of thing we can connect with people. And that's where sort of their analogies of transcendence and how they're responding with God not being there. They'll create their own transcendence. And that's one of the things I help people, too, is like, look, if you want to connect with people sometime and you see them and they have a tattoo, just go, hey, does your tattoo have a story? Because they're writing on their skin, the the image of God, eternity in the hearts of people, is writing their stories on skin. And, um, oh my gosh, just the other day I asked this woman, I said, tell me what this is. And she, I'd never met her. She told me, she said, well, this is my reminder that I can go on and live strong. She said, I I was, I was, this is what she said. I never even knew. She said, I was, I was kidnapped and raped. And I, I survived. And this is telling me that I can survive again. That's life under the sun, right? It's like, what can you do? It's people trying to make those horrible things sacred. And in Christ, our wounds are sacred. The things that you have experienced that you just would, you probably wouldn't tell some dopey guy like me that story, but you hold it and you know and it's painful and it's, and, and you wonder where God is, and it can be crushing. But that, Jesus makes even that sacred. And people are trying to make their pain sacred. And they, they might find um, something sacred or a reflection of the eternity that God's placed in our hearts, like in movies, in books. And then I would say even, even in births. You know, these are sacred things that you can come alongside somebody. You can have a movie. that There's a way to connect with friendships that is just amazing and sacred and transcendent. People in different life stage events come alongside them. You befriend them. Friendship, I think, is so critical, so important. And we saw that in Jesus. And Jesus said, like, you know, he's, not, he's, he's a friend too, right? Okay. So, friendship. 
Um, and the next one's a table. Next, yeah. This is sim- a similar um, verse is also in our passage, but this is from a, a previous chapter. There's nothing better for a person than that they should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. So this idea then that if we live in a vapor in a meaningless world and things are hard and it's difficult, the author of Ecclesiastes says then, you know, find pleasure in food and drink and celebration and conversation. You know, that's one way to do it. And I think that's what we do. It's this idea that in this midst of the life, that's a place you can meet somebody. You can have a meal with your friends. This is how we make space for God. Um, in an us versus them world, a meal with somebody maybe that you even disagree with, just sitting there with over a meal and listening to hear rather than listening to correct, respond, or judge. That's a place that the author of Ecclesiastes is saying that is a place that's a common place with people who have eternity in their hearts to meet in that meal. Um, And especially, again, in an us versus them world. Um, And that's what Jesus did, right? I mean, hey, Zacchaeus, (laughs) jerk. You know, he's like, you know, um, think of the worst presidential administration. I know everybody has one in mind. And he would be, you know, a henchman for that, that president. You know, and you just go, no, come on, come down. Let's go eat have dinner in time with jesus then what did he do started paying everybody back you know all right i'm changing my life i think that's the image i think that's the picture of a a table sitting at a table making space for god do what jesus did eating and drinking with his friends um and that's a way to live a beautiful life you know Peter, First Peter 2.12. But I think I'm going to end with this, this last sort of flurries of thought. You know, the God has left, no, the transcendence has left the wild, and the wild is creating your own transcendence. And our common ground is friendship, meals, and meals. Um, Jesus sat with his friends, sat with sinners, all that. But, you, but one thing, though, we know, too, is that he sat with his friends at that table you know, before he was betrayed and killed, right, and died for us. And he said this to them. Next slide. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There is a meal coming that's born in a friendship that is eternal and amazing, right? Now, we know that. And the next slide. And he said in Revelation 19, the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. There is a meal and a friendship that finds its full consummation in heaven. That's what we're heading towards. That's the truth. Next. And this is, I love this. And the city has no need of sun. No more life under the sun. Think about that. No more life 
with wondering about anything related to God because God is the light. No more life under the sun. No more depression. No more tears. No more pain. And we don't have to wait for that even. We don't live life under the sun. We live life in Jesus. We abide in him. We make our home with him. That's it. That word abide means we are at home with him. Abide in me and I in you. Like, right, that's, that's what we have. And so we don't live life under the sun. But we do go and we do meet. Next slide. Um, and we can tell people, I know the name of the man who's making everything right. I know the name of the man who's fixing all of this. His name's Jesus. He said, behold, I'm making all things new. That's, that's what we have. That's, that's the truth. That's what we bring to our friendships in the wild. Meals together where you listen to hear rather than listening to judge. Listen to respond. Listen to correct. We hold that space. It becomes a sacred space that we hold. Because life under the sun is exhausting, depressing, and we hold that space for people. One last thing I do want to say, though, and we'll close with this. When we look, and I want to have the last slide, we look at our passage. Uh, oops, I can go, yeah, that one right there. Thank you. I don't know if you can see all this, but I will read it to you. But this is from our passage. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is, the, this is God's gift to man. That last meal that Jesus had with his disciples, and he said, here's bread and here is drink. And it represents my toil. It represents my work. I lived a life you couldn't perfectly. And I died the death you deserve. We are to take pleasure in his toil. So when I read Ecclesiastes now, I'm going, okay, because Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, he said, my, my yoke is easy. And that was sort of, he said that like a rabbi would. And, and the yoke that he's talking about was like his take on scripture. Because he, you know, in that, that culture, that time, he was seen as a rabbi. And rabbis were people that said, this is my summary of scripture. This is what I believe and this is the life I live in light of that. You know, when Jesus was talking to his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he said, all of scripture was about me. This is about him. So when it says, take pleasure in his toil, take pleasure in the work of Jesus. Take pleasure in what he did for you, the toil, the work he did on the cross, the work he did. And then, by the way, take pleasure in the work he's doing now in your soul. And so when we go and we say, you sit and you let the truth wash over you in your time with Jesus and you're quiet. He's working his work in you and you take pleasure in it. Take pleasure in him because then and only then can you be a true friend to somebody and at a meal 
be there without any regard for outcomes. A non-anxious presence in a world that is meaningless to those under the sun. But we have this deep, rich meaning, so every become, everything becomes sacred. Every meal is sacred. Every encounter is sacred. That's the beauty of an enchanted world, and a world where transcendence is everything. There's meaning behind it all. That's the world that we live in. And that's the world we take into the wild. That's the common ground. Oh, you're haunted by transcendence? Me too. I love your tattoo. Tell me about that. Oh. And you can feel the pain and they can see it. Live such beautiful lives that even pagans, even if they don't like you, will see your good deeds and glorify God. Live a beautiful life. Take pleasure in the work of Jesus. Eat and drink in his name to his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we saw you, we saw your face, we saw your pleasure that you have in Jesus' work. And Holy Spirit, we can't do this ourselves, but would you meet us in the quiet stillness of just sitting before you, before your word, um, Work in us what we can't. Please, we want to be your hands and feet. To love you with every ounce of our being, heart, soul, mind, strength, everything. And our neighbor as ourselves. We want to, we want to look like you for the sake of the wild, for them. And that's what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look full in his wonder.
that is happening tonight here at church at 6. Everyone's invited. Um, as you may already know, back in January, the church staff and leadership began a special training called Church Cares, Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused. Um, for three Sunday evenings, we've gathered together, we've watched videos and discussed um, how we can care well for those who are going through really difficult situations um, in abuse, or maybe they have in their past, just how to bring them to the foot of the cross and show them love and lead them to light. Um, and we worked through some hard topics, but I think we've all learned a lot. Um, part of the training, though, has taught us how important it is to reach out to community resources just beyond our own church even. Um, and so we want to learn more about the local resources right here in Huntsville. So tonight at 6 o'clock, we are welcoming um, a woman from Crisis Services of North Alabama, um, crisis Services' mission is to respond to individuals and families in crisis. Um, they provide a 24-hour help phone line, counseling services, emergency shelter. Um, and our speaker tonight is Ms. Sharita Jenkins-Stewart. Uh, she's a licensed master social worker, and she is the Domestic Violence Program Director at Crisis Services. She has over nine years of experience um, working with victims of domestic violence. Um, so I'm really looking forward to learning from her 
about her experiences and what crisis services does in our community so we can connect with her in the future too. Um, so just this is a time of information gathering and we can ask questions of her. Um, so if you're available, I'd encourage you to come. We'll learn some more together tonight how we can care for and love others well. So thank you guys so much. If you have any questions, you can come to me after the service. I get the joy of sending you on your way with a benediction. Please rise. You know, the work of, that Jesus did do, his toil put an end to death, didn't it? And that's glorious news. Wow. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you, and he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Amen. Y'all, this is how I roll. Okay, so um, real quick, guys, we have an Easter egg hunt on Saturday, March 23rd. It feels super early, but it's like three weeks away. <laughs> um, it's going to be at 10 o'clock in the morning. And how many of you guys, even if you've helped, if you're a participant, how many of y'all have been to our last Easter egg hunt? It's been fun. It's been very sweet. And This year, we're not only doing our church, we're not only inviting our church members, but we're going to be inviting Lincoln Academy, Little Link, um, and some of the the neighborhood, okay? So the the vision for this Easter egg hunt has been to, I mean, it's not going to be huge. It's not going to be like trunk or treat big, but we want to make this a fun, like Bill Nash was saying, Um, it's, it's bringing people to the table I mean, Easter egg hunts, they can be secular, can be, you know, we obviously want to point them to Jesus, but it's also, it's just a beautiful way. I mean, who doesn't like, like, little kids squealing and running around, finding candy and little toys? So, anyway, um, the egg hunt, there's going to be two hunts. There's going to be ages one through five, so baby hunt on the playground, kind of like we did last year, and then we're going to have a slightly bigger kid hunt in the field. Um... And what we need is eggs and candy or non-candy. We are going to have two groups. So, like, if you think of a one-year-old grabbing a Skittle, that's not wise. So we need all kinds of treats and, like, egg stuffers, okay? Um, We also need, um, if you come, and I'm just putting this bug in your ear, okay? So I would love it if everybody here would come. Um, just your presence is welcome here. It is a sweet, sweet time. We're going to be kind of doing some brunch type snacks. Okay. Food is awesome. Um, so if everybody who comes can bring like something like pastries from Sam's or a vegetable tray, the church is going to be providing some of that, but the community aspect of this is if we all brought a little something, we can all share, and it's just a snack, and we're done at noon, and everybody does their own thing for lunch. But we still get to share time with each other, and it's just going to be very sweet. So y'all just, I'm going to put, you know, the big green box I always put, we always put out there for donations. That's going out there. Start filling it up with eggs and candy and non-candy items, things for littles that would be good to stuff eggs. 
Um, yeah. So thank you guys for your time. I'm sorry I kept you a few more minutes, but this is just, I don't know. I'm pumped about it. It's going to be fun. It's easy. It's sweet. All right. God bless.